0: Well, guys, we're in Luke 11, so if you want to turn to Luke chapter 11, we actually, uh, we left off in verse 5, so uh, that's where we'll pick it up, actually, but you may recall in Luke 11, uh, it begins with what's called commonly the Lord's Prayer, and that's where the disciples come to Jesus, they notice some things about him, and they said, hey, teach us to pray like you pray, and so... Jesus did, and as we read, we'll read it again, he said, Lord, they said, Lord, teach us to pray, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us into temptation, and that brings us to the context of where we are now, because he's still answering this question, which is teach us to pray, so verse 5 says, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine who has arrived on a journey. And I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get get up now and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, Ask... To those who ask him. So again, we're answering this question of uh, teach us to pray, and Jesus now is going to teach them a number of characteristics. Now remember, when Jesus taught them uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer, when he says, Father, hallowed be your name, and so on and so forth, he wasn't giving them uh, sort of a memorized script for them to say, but he was teaching them ideas and principles of prayer that are demonstrated in those particular words that were selected, or any words that convey that same message. Well, here, similarly, Jesus, through this story, uh, and then the words that he says after it, is going to again share some philosophies and principles that we should come to God in prayer, or the means by which, or the manner by which we come to him in prayer. The key words to understanding this little story that Jesus gave is found in verse 11. And that's the words there that say, how much more. So again, we read where it says if, uh, well, we'll maybe read verse 11 here. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will your father? Sometimes we look at this, people might look at this and they say, Well, here's how it works with God. You have to pester him. You have to annoy him. You have to bring him to the point where he can't take it anymore, and then he'll give you what you ask for. That's not the point of the story here. That is how it worked in that story. But the point of the story is not to say that God is annoyed when you come to him. The point of the story goes on to this idea of how much more will your heavenly father, if that's how it could work here, how much more when your father just loves you and loves when you come to him. So let's go back and look at these a little more closely. Starting in verse 8. Or excuse me, five. He said to them, which of you has a friend, who has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. Now, loaves was essentially the, the meal, the, the bread that they were going to uh, give to someone. And here you have the story of a guest. Guest is coming to the house late at night. You, know, you don't have a fridge, you don't have a microwave. We're just going to go in and get these things here. And so in the culture of hospitality, It was appropriate, regardless of the time, you give your guest uh, a welcome and you provide them with lodging and you provide them with something to eat, regardless of the hour. Well, this guy doesn't have anything, so he's got to go to his neighbor and no time to cook everything, goes to a neighbor and says, hey, I need some food here. Now, the neighbor is a friend, no doubt about that he's a friend, but sometimes you can take friendship a little too far, you know, and he said, look, we're all in bed. He says, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my kids are in bed. Now, in our house, our homes, most of us, you know, we'd come out of our bedroom, go to the door, the kids are in their bedroom somewhere else, you'd go to the kitchen, you're not bothering everyone. But there you're talking about essentially a one-room building, and you know, this room is the living room during the day, it's the dining room during mealtime, it's the bedroom during bedtime, and mats and things like that would be rolled up, put aside, and taken out for the evening, and Everyone would be lying down on their mats there. And so literally for this guy to get up, open the door, get what the man needs, everybody in the family has to get up. And so I'm sure initially it was a quiet, leave us alone, we're sleeping sort of thing. And gradually as the guy kept banging, kept banging, kept banging, and it speaks there of his impudence or his persistence, finally the man realizes, you know what, we'd be better off if I wake everybody up Move him out of the way, give the guy the bread, have him go away, and then we can get back to sleep. Um, Because with him banging at the door all night, we're up anyway. And so he does. So the first here. Let's look at that story that is told. Guy comes to your house late at night. That's the prayer. All right. Bangs on your door. He has a need and all this. What character traits is Jesus highlighting? And this is going to be a question I want to talk about. Is Jesus highlighting as it relates to prayer? Boldness. Very good. Mm. Boldness. Give, well, for those who don't know how you came to that, what about
1: that shows boldness? That you're bold um, enough to, to come to somebody at a late hour and to ask for something because you really need it. Mm. Okay, good. If, if it was an emergency, you wouldn't, uh, uh, we wouldn't come to your house and uh, knock uh, really late tonight and ask for something. <laughs> You'd be well
0: <welcome. laughs> I might not hear you. I'm not good at hearing. My wife wouldn't hear
2: me. <laughs> yeah. All right,
0: what else? So we have boldness. Persistence. 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 Certainly we, we see that word, or at least a synonym of that word. Okay, anything else? Desperate?
2: Hungry?
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Tell me why desperate?
2: Well, he has nothing to eat.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, would you say it would be a little bit humbling to have to go to your neighbor and wake right. them up and all of that and say, like, I didn't plan ahead or whatever it may be? Um, yeah. So there's three characteristics that we see, humbling or desperation, boldness, and then as you all mentioned. This idea of persistence. Um, As we compare this now to the Father, have you come to find that there are times where you have to keep knocking at the door uh, with your prayers? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So that idea of persistence and continued persistence or even a passionate persistence, why do you think that God waits until you are banging down the door? Um, why did it skip to you the first time?
3: Get, get this going we've got things to do. give me my prayer request I think he wants to I think he wants to be with us in prayer. I mean I think you know I, uh, I think he kind of wants it to be a sort of a conversation not just a, like a checklist of I mm-hmm. hey, could you really use this now Lord and bang you got it I, think, okay. I I think he enjoys being in prayer wants being in prayer with him.
0: Which means we should probably change our prayer manner, right? Because mm-hmm. oftentimes it is just bringing a list, mm-hmm. you know. And, and you've probably heard the acronyms, you know. Pray, which is P is for petition. Petition. I thought that was later. R is for repenting. Now A is for asking. Yeah, ask. Why is yielding. What's the P? Patience. Uh, Praise. Yeah, praise. <laughs> right. So it's praise, <laughs> we'll repentance, up asking, yielding. And yeah, yeah. that, order. also acts, which is adoration, confession, yeah. Thanks, thanksgiving, and, 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 and supplication. supplication. You know, so, but oftentimes, it, it's really just the asking. You know, here's my list. Okay? So, learning how to pray better there. Um, what are the lessons you think God is trying to teach us by creating in us sort of this passionate persistence? Oh, trust. Trust. Okay. In what? Him. How so? How, how does that build trust? He's not answering your prayer. <laughs> That's I mean. more distrust.
2: <sighs> yeah. Um, okay.
3: I, no, I... I've <laughs> <laughs> just times when I've been glad he hasn't answered my prayer. How so? Well, I, I don't know. I think that um, <laughs> maybe like when I was in... Before I met Kathy, there was like some girls, gee, I really wish, you know, mm. could you, this is the one, you know, that sort of thing. And you know, probably wouldn't have been the one, you know. Yeah. Uh, certainly wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> one, <laughs> the one. And probably, Definitely. You know, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm just okay. like some things that you probably pray that maybe um, at some point you're persisting, you might just sort of like, okay, yeah, yeah I hear what you're saying, Lord, this. Yeah. yeah.
0: I prayed for a job when I, uh, when I got out of college. I finished in July, June, let's say, and uh, you know I didn't get a teaching job right away. And um, but I was fine. I was still working at a bank or whatever. Whatever I did in college, I was still doing that. Then the fall came along. Still no teaching job. I was like, okay, this isn't good. Um, so then I needed some money. So I started doing construction. i worked in construction a little bit, but I still wanted a teaching job. Um, and then I somehow I came, I became aware of this job. Uh, with the CYO, Catholic Youth Organization, I used to play basketball in their leagues and everything, and they needed what they called an athletic director. You know, and so I was like, that sounds, that's me, it's perfect, and it's like, and Catholic Youth goes, I can talk about God there, and I'll put Jesus, and, you know, So thank you, Lord, for not giving me all those other jobs, you know, that I applied for, and and saving this one, you're wonderful. I went on the interview, the interview was great, and and all this stuff, and uh, next day I get a call. I just want to let you know, we decided to go with someone else. like, what? What do you mean you decided to go with someone else? You know, this sort of thing. Um, well, the job would have required that you work uh, Thursday from like 12 p.m. noon to 10 p.m. Friday, same thing, Saturdays and Sundays to do this job. Um, well, that would have significantly affected um, who I became, mm-hmm. you know. And so the Lord knew, and he was, and I, you know, in my mind, I'm reasoning things out and, you know, I'll bring Jesus there, I'll be a missionary, and I'll go to church on Wednesday somewhere, you know, or whatever, but the Lord knew, you know, and he said no, and I'm glad he said no. You know. Alright, now you started to say something, though, that, uh, you were saying, as you keep
3: praying, then you begin to realize, you kind of get on the same page with God? I think sometimes it's, when you're persistently praying about something, I find that when I'm persistently praying about something, that there's times when God just kind of, I don't know how to explain it. God just kind of shuts me up, and like, and then there's like times where I'm just not hearing an audible voice or anything, but I'm hearing, I'm kind of feeling God, you know, sort of telling me like you know this and you know that, and he's sort of like reminding me of the stuff. Well, you know, you know my will for this and you know my will for that, and you know. Are you really praying for something that you really think that I want to give you type of thing? Mm-hmm. I kind of start. Sometimes I and then I realize, okay. He starts. I shouldn't be praying it. this. You he know, starts should, changing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, I wrote a note here um, that our persistence doesn't change God; it changes us. Mm-hmm. And it, it's and one of the things that it does is it develops in us a heart and a passion for the things that God wants, and so that brings us into league and in concert with Him. I also find that it gives us a great appreciation for when the prayer is answered. You know, so I was sharing with some folks that Robin and I uh, we prayed for her sister for 25 years to come to Jesus, uh, and if she came to Jesus in the first month, it would have been cool, but it would have sort of been like, yeah, cool, you
3: know,
0: right? People come to Jesus, you know, I mean? but the fact that now, like, we'll look over at her in church or something, or she was volunteering with the Sunday school, like, table one time, and we looked in and we saw her at the end of the hall at the table welcoming people and thinking, what are
3: you doing here? You know I mean? This is just
0: amazing, you know? And there's just an incredible appreciation when you labor and prayer for those things, you know? So I think it does two things that, that we, we've looked at. One, it brings our prayers into agreement with his. There used to be a, a money guy, um, kind of like Dave Ramsey now, when years ago his name was Larry Burkett. And he was sort of like the go-to Christian money guy. And Larry Burkett made the suggestion that if you're going to make a purchase, a big purchase, now that depends on how much money you have, you know, for some people that's $100, others it's a 1000 but if you're going to make a big purchase, he said, wait 30 days. He said, you know, yeah, great, get it, start planning for having it and everything, but wait 30 days. Because he said oftentimes what happens is, after a week, after two weeks, after three weeks, I don't really need that thing anymore. I really thought I did. I was dying to have it, but I don't really need that anymore. And I think similarly that is how our prayer life is. You know, we're desperate for this thing now, and then as time sort of goes on, we realize, you know, that wouldn't have been good for me. That CYO job, I I shouldn't have taken that job. You know, and so on. So God changes us.
4: I I think, I'm sorry. I I also think there's an aspect of, of us looking at God as like the Santa Claus, right? You know, it's not. It's more about the thing we want than it is about us talking to God about it. It's kind of along the first item that you were yeah. referring to. It's
2: interesting. Well, the trusting where I, before I got flustered <laughs> um, because I knew my aunt prayed for me for thirty four years. That was like a, that was like one of the first lessons. All right, you just got to wait for stuff. Mm-hmm. I got so you. like that, that like. In the beginning, of my walk made it like, all right, well, okay. I just gotta be patient for stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And just, and you know, my aunt, you know, graciously prayed for me for thirty-four years. Mm-hmm. So that's good.
0: Yeah. Dave, were you gonna say something before? Yeah. All right, I'm sorry. All right, well, let's continue looking at verses eight and nine a little more closely. It says, "And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open." For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Now, it's important to understand that in the Greek there's a tense, we have tenses in our language as well, but the tense of these words, so we say ask, seek, and knock, and the idea is, I did ask, you know, and I looked all over the house, I didn't find it, and I knocked five times and nobody answered. Well, the tense here is a continual tense, and what that simply means is this, that it's not once and done, it's a continual Continual process over and over and over so keep asking you could read it and I tell you keep asking keep seeking Keep knocking like the example and so you know it is there is a temptation to grow weary in prayer There's one is I've already told God he knows what it is and uh, you know I'm not gonna be repetitive or anything you know well, we're told to it. I don't know why I really don't know why but we are We're told to keep asking and so we do so we can't grow weary in our prayers But I think we see another thing about this idea of keeping, asking, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Um, Much like the lessons we learned earlier. And the lessons earlier were that it's humbling, we have to come in boldness, we have to be persistent. What would you say some of the lessons are in this continual seeking, knocking, asking? Would you say there's some action that
5: it's not all just on God's part? But for us to be doing something, um, to be seeking, you know, like his will, like Jim said, you know, seeking where God wants, what Mm -hmm. God wants from our prayers. And, you know, it's not all about just what I want for me, but what I want that's going to glorify God Mm -hmm. in, in my life.
0: So there's a role we play in the process, and that would be the asking-seeking you were talking about. And I think the second thing you were saying is this idea of, does the prayer bring glory and honor to Him? Is it in His will? Let's say that, because we read that later on in the Scripture. All right, so we know that if we are praying prayers that are not according to His will, then they're not going to be answered, certainly. But assuming all of that is the case, and it is according to God's will, this is the role that God would have us play in the process. Right. seeking knocking.
3: The sense of coming to him daily for, for something like even in the Lord's Prayer he was our daily bread. Mm-hmm. Just coming to him for what we need and not relying on Something Like a lot of times I'll pray for him to sort of change my nature, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, the, the you know, like say for instance I, I may pray that like Lord today. If, you know, I pray that people would see you and me today. You know, that's something that, okay, you got it, and it's like, okay, it's good for you. I mean, I need to continue to live yeah. daily for that, not just throughout, throughout the, the day. day, right? Yeah, 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 yeah throughout little... the day too. Right?
0: Yeah. Okay. Good. Are you familiar with uh, the story that's found in the book of Genesis, where Jacob wrestles with God? Mm-hmm. As many of you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's quoted in Genesis, or it's told. The story is told in Genesis 32. We also have a um, statement about it in the prophet Hosea. Um, but there, as Jacob is wrestling with God, oh. was it? Ah, oh, sir. Okay. Hosea. Yeah. As Jacob is wrestling with God, um, daybreak is about to come, and God you know, says, "Let me go. You know, we're done. We're, the wrestling match is over." Uh, and Jacob says, no, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Now, it's important to read the Hosea passage, Hosea 12, actually, because there you, if you read Genesis, sometimes you get a little bit of this idea of, like,
4: he it was like a God. stalemate
0: or something, yeah. you know? And, like, Jacob was almost winning this thing, and God's like, you yeah, gotta let me go, i got to get home or something, or I'm in trouble, or, you know, so <laughs> it's just, but if you read Hosea, it's very clear that, what Jacob is doing is like grabbing onto the ankle of God almost, you know, and, and he's like crying, it says, and I can't we'll let you go and you need you to bless me and, and all this stuff. So clearly God's the winner uh, in this whole thing. But I, I see that, and I think we see an earnestness in prayer. I must be blessed, and I'm not letting go until you do, and an intensity in his prayer. And I think that is part of, I see a connection with this. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You know, what do you? What is it that you want to see God do? All right, well, come to me and come to me again and again and again and develop a passionate persistence for that thing. You'll see if it comes in, the two come in line, you know, and then cry out to me for it, and I'll I'll know that it is in your heart. And when it's delivered to you, your heart will be grateful for that answered prayer in a way that it would have never been grateful before. So I, I think these are some of the lessons uh, that we have, and again, as we said, if it's according to God's will, First John five, fourteen uh, speaks of that. Jose, uh, the one that was asked to, you know, continue to love his wife, turning to apostles. So he said, I think we, when we continually seek, we begin to see things from God's view mm-hmm. about what we're asking for. Like yeah. Repeated asking, seeking, and knocking can change even the prayers that we're saying and the prayers that we're bringing because we begin to realize with time and continual drawing near that those things that we were asking for previously, um, maybe they weren't really even in God's will to begin with. So can I ask you, if uh, you don't mind, what's something that you have kept seeking, knocking, and asking God for?
2: Salvation my family.
5: Direction in my life. Uh, <clears throat> I, feel I have so many different passions. Yeah, yeah. And I just don't know, I feel sometimes like I'm wrong here, there. And you know, mm-hmm. just sort of like direction. So I can be a, a solid witness um, in my walk. Yeah. It seems like I'm just here, there, <laughs> everywhere. And
0: maybe that's where I belong, but it just seems like every day I'm making a choice of where I need to be. Okay, you know? mm-hmm. mm-hmm. direction. That's similar to mine too as of late, just to kind of ease my anxieties
5: with uh, where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be in, in various areas of my life. Mm-hmm.
3: I'm some of the barons that I'm praying uh, for all my families, particularly my kids and my grandkids. You know? yeah. yeah. And God seems to be working in that actually. Yeah. Seems to Hallelujah. be. I've gone to church the last two weeks uh-huh. now, just sort of out of the boat. Just kind of cool. it's very simple. Yeah. Good.
0: Well, don't lose heart when these things. Remember, there's a process. Draw near unto him. He'll draw near unto you and the work that he wants to do in you. Amen. Amen? All right, now, he's still teaching about prayer. In verse 11, he says, What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? And so on. Now, human fathers, and of course, there's some human fathers that aren't very good. Uh, we understand that. But the typical human father, his desire is to bless his children. Uh, and if he has the ability to uh, give the kid what the kid is asking for. Particularly he's not ask for an iPad. The kid's asking him for something to eat, you know, and, and things like that. Well, he's going to do it. And then here's that key word. Well, how much more will God answer us? You know, how much more will your heavenly Father? Uh, and the idea is, you know, I. And he even calls them, your dad, you who are evil. And they're like, hey, man. <laughs> like, you know, like, I'm sitting here in front of you. But, you know, we are. We're selfish. It talks about in the book of Hebrews. It says that, you know, fathers, as best as they could, they discipline us. You know, and sometimes we discipline our kids for the wrong reasons. You know, it's because I want it quiet in the house. Not so much because I want to teach you something and that sort of thing. So, you know, we do the best we can. That's this thing with our evil nature and so on. But God is perfectly good and perfectly loving and perfectly kind and perfectly gracious and merciful and so on. So how much more so Him? When we come to God and we ask Him for things that are according to His will. So what would you say then is that, what's that final lesson that we learn about prayer from that final statement? A kid going to his dad, asking for an egg and how much more and so on.
4: What he gives us isn't meant to harm us. Okay, that's a good one. That's a long
0: statement. Yeah. So if you didn't hear, he said, "What he gives us isn't meant to harm us." Mm. Okay, that's a good
5: one. Uh, he He goes before us, and he knows a far better plan than we can even ask for. And he loves us, and you know, uh, what is it? He's you know, when you want to have god laugh give him your plan because <laughs> he already has a far greater plan
0: okay so if you know that and let's say he does put the plan out in front of you you know right? here's here's the plan for the next year or so uh, and it differs from your plan what can you what do you do with that you
5: say oh god no this is wrong okay i know you're saying no, or there's water filling in this place. It's too complicated for me. It could be as simple as A, B, C. I want you to do A, B, C. And you say, no, that's too complicated for me, God. Right, absolutely. Mm So I have
0: to
5: trust you moment by moment and day by day.
0: That's the word I was looking for. And we trust like a child trust. Mm -hmm. So if my dad were to put a plate down in front of me, I'm not doubting that it's poison or something. My dad wouldn't have put it in front of me with a fork if it was going to harm me. And so there's a degree of just simple childlike trust. Kind of like the guy who went to the door late at night. He knew the neighbor would have the bread, so he went over there. And that's a little harder for us as we get older, isn't it? Because I can't see how you're going to do this. Like we, little kids don't know how you're going to do it anyway. You know, I'm not smart. enough to figure it out anyway. So could you just please do it and trust that God's going to do it. Yet, as we get a little older and smarter and all these things that we think we are, you know, then we can, you know what, I, I can't bring this to God, I can bring certain things to God, but I can't bring these things to God because these are complicated, you know, these need to be figured out and thought through and you know, all that sort of stuff, you know? so I've been lately learning, um, bring that thing to the Lord, particularly in like leadership of the church, bring that to the Lord and watch what He'll do, you know, and so we did, so I had a simple prayer. Um, I was just trying to figure out clarity in leadership development of people in the church. And I I knew that I should be doing this, but I didn't know what that was going to look like and how I was going to do it and all this sort of stuff. And so I was at a prayer retreat, and they said, What would you like us to pray for you? I said, I'd like to leave here with clarity in regards to leadership development and what I just said to you. And so we prayed. And I don't know when, but within the next day, when I came back home, I was sitting at my computer and now I look back, it was like three a month ago or something, it just seems so incredibly clear, like how could I have not known that before? You know? So we come and just childlike trust and that's kind of fun. You know what I mean? To just come and say, All right Lord, you got a problem, you gotta take care of that one, <laughs> you know. And he does. So we trust Him.
4: Yeah, you know, I, th- I think it was interesting for me how this verse kind of um, became real to me, so to speak. Um, I remember just having a real hard time. I can't remember ex- the exact c- circumstances, but I was with other believers, and I said, I was like, I need you guys to pray that I have patience. I, I just can't. And the one guy was like, oh, you don't want to pray for that, you know? And then I, it, like... Because I understand that, you know, God will give you patience. You know, <laughs> but, he'll give you trials honest. to be patient under. <laughs> you know, and, and then at the same time, like, I remember thinking to myself, like, but he gives good gifts, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's a good dad. He's not going to, like, throw me under the bus. I, I don't teach patience, you patience. Know? Yeah. He's not like that. Yeah, really. um, the other thing I wanted to share was um, about the seeking piece. And I, I was just like, I remember explaining it to um, Caleb when he was younger. About seeking God, and I and I said, and I was like, you know, it's not like, I was like, it's kind of like playing hide and seek, and I said, I said, but not like when you're playing with Sean, Sean, or Sean's my adopted son. He's older, and he would hide and remain utterly quiet. Never could the kids could never find him, and I uh, and I said, but me, you know, I go in the room and I'm like rattling stuff, you know, and they're like, oh, I think he's in the room, you know, and I think God's like that, like he he wants us to find him. And so he's making noises in the closet, you know, and he's like over here, and they are like, oh, God's in the closet, you know, and so I imagine it's like that, so, I don't know, that's how it works for me. That's good. Right. Let's take a look at that last
0: verse in that section, verse 13, because it says, if you that were evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? No. Honestly, I read that I'm like, who's talking about the Holy Spirit? Like, that came out of nowhere. You know what I mean? But there's that good gift of the Holy Spirit that he, he refers to. And notice, it says there that God especially delights to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now, I thought I had the Holy Spirit when I became a believer. Doesn't Ephesians say that that's the down payment of my faith, the guarantee of my salvation? And, you know... Uh, and all that, those verses and stuff. So, what do you think is being meant here when it says that God's going to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him, but how does that fit in with the idea that when you are you become a believer, you have the Holy Spirit?
2: Yes, sir? The of the Spirit, baptism the Spirit, whatever you want to call that. Okay. It's different. Different people call it different things. Okay,
0: so, are those terms everyone's familiar with? Okay, is it rain? in Spirit. Yeah. Okay, so different people use the term differently. Um, essentially, the way people are saying it, though, is synonymous. Baptism with the Spirit, filling with the Spirit. When you ask them to define what they mean, they're saying the same thing. Okay, um, It's interesting because uh, if I listen to some Calvary guys on the West Coast, they use the phrase baptism with the Spirit. If I listen to guys on the East Coast, Joe Foch and others who I'm familiar with, they will only use filling with the Spirit and say it's wrong to say baptism with the Spirit. Not that big a deal, but... And so it's just kind of interesting where your background <laughs> is here. I kind of like the idea of baptism with the Spirit as that initial experience, because we think of baptism as the start of things and, and so on, and then filling after. But again, I don't think it necessarily matters. There is a very good book on the baptism of the Spirit that we sell here called... The Baptism with the Spirit, I think. <laughs> uh, something like I'm that. Sure. Is, is it, it, is it R.A. Torrey? Tori. That's who it was. Um, excellent. And he goes in there and he answers that question. Should you call baptism with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit? Um, or some other phrase that he uses there. I don't think it really matters. All right, So we have the, the imparting of the Spirit into our lives, initially. Um, we see examples in the Scripture where the Spirit comes upon people. And empowers them for works of ministry, particularly see that in the Old Testament. And then we have this idea of the baptism with the Spirit or the filling with the Spirit, and that's the idea of you think of a cup that is filled up and overflowing, and that the baptism, the filling of the Spirit, is for an empowering for ministry, and so, and the work that God wants to do in us. So we don't have to doubt that God wants to give us the Spirit. Um, the problem really is in our receiving. The gift of the Spirit uh, in our lives in that way, the filling of the Spirit. So, what would you say that we should be praying for the Spirit to do in our lives? So we say fill. What was that? What does that mean? Like, what is that going to look like? So, Spirit, I want you to do these things in my life. What would you say they are? Guidance. Okay. Uh, John
5: fourteen and fifteen. It's
0: more mostly about remaining in Him through, you know, the obedience of love. So, um, you know, didn't pray in that
5: sense, you know, Holy Spirit fill me so that I can love and obey.
0: Good. Okay. There's two. So we say guidance, love, uh, others, love yeah. God even, and obey. Um, okay. What else? What's uh, another name for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? Jesus calls him. I'm not sure name, comforter, okay? Um, I'm not sure name's the right word, but a term like that, comforter, healer, okay? What do you do for the name? Teacher, okay? <laughs> so who teaches us? The Holy Spirit, good. You know, honestly, I was reading a book today, it's uh, How to Lead Men to Christ, by R.A. Torrey, I believe it is, uh, and he said, it's quite simple, you know, I'm like, really? I don't think so, you know, <laughs> but he, he, he went through these things, and then he said at the end, he said, um, among other things, but he said, pray that God directs you who to speak to. He said, because you don't want to be wasting your time talking to this guy, when that's the guy that God's working on his heart at this particular time. Um, he said, so you're not going to talk to everybody, and you're not meant to talk to everybody. Find the one that God leads you to talk to, and talk to that one. Said, that's really good. you know. But this idea of, we want to be prompted by the Spirit, don't we? You know, I was just talking to a guy in the hall here um, that I happen to know uh, from town, and I said, how you doing? What are well, you doing over here? And he said, about just trying to deal with my house exploding. And I like, oh my gosh, you lived over there? Everybody apparently lived over there. And so we were just talking a little bit. And in the conversation, he's talking, I'm praying, like, well, what exactly should I say to this guy? Leave me to say something, you know, prompt me, and so on. And so we pray that all the time. Um, so there you have it. So pray for the gift, if as it's called here, of the Spirit in your life, mm-hmm. that He would lead you and guide you and prompt you and teach you. He would fill you, He'd empower you for ministry, and, and a life of obedience, and that you would love God more and others. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, we have a few more minutes. Let's go on to verse 14. How does that sound? Good? Okay, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. All right. Now, he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out of the mute man, or, excuse me, gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons while others, to test him, kept seeking him from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing the thoughts, he said, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls, and if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he, attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So, as we've seen many times in Jesus' ministry, he's encountering people uh, that are possessed by demons and so on. This particular demon here we see, Uh, had the effect of causing a man to be mute. And it said when the demon had gone out of the mute, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. Well, in the first century, there was a common um, belief that uh, you could not cast the demon out of a person unless the demon told you their name, not the person's name, the demon's name, and then you commanded, Jimmy, come come out of that person now. And the demon wouldn't respond unless you addressed it by its name. Now, here's one thing. If I were to ask the demon, what's your name, why would the demon tell me the truth to begin with? You know. So anyway, but that was a, a first century uh, idea. Jews, by the way, there were Jews, priests, Pharisees, and others that specialized in being exorcists, and that is delivering people from demon possession. And as I said, the common idea, the proper procedure, was to find out the demon's name, command, com- command the demon by name, to come out of the person now the fact that this demon and this man standing there is mute and unable to say a word and yet Jesus nonetheless still has power to heal this man well that causes everyone to marvel uh, and so verse 15 not everybody marveled most people did but then there were some it says he cast out demons by Beelzebub the prince of demons and then others it's said, tested it to keep seeking from him a sign from heaven. So here these folks are either marveling at his ability to cast out uh, this demon without knowing his name. And there were two reactions to that. One, by the religious leaders, was to attribute this power to Beelzebul, in my version. Some of your versions say Beelzebub, um, which is translated the Lord of the Flies. You never spoke about that. Is that what it's about? I just know that there's a book out there. Um, This is a reference to Satan, as the chief of the fallen spirits, chief of the demons, if you will. So this is just clearly a reference to him. So some are saying that the power to cast out a demon is being given to Jesus by Satan himself. That's what some thought. Others thought, I don't know where it comes from, but show me another trick. Do some other sign for me. You know, this is kind of cool. What else can you do? So verse 17, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. So it seems as if those that thought Jesus was delivering this man by the power of Satan didn't actually articulate that out loud. Um, Whereas those that said, show us another sign, they did say that out loud. So there's this crowd saying, more signs, more signs, more signs. And, you know, priests kind of pulling their beard, trying to wonder... How exactly is he doing it he must be doing it by the power of Satan because he's not following or formula you know I think a lot of people create formulas for how Jesus works or how God works and then Jesus bucks if you will the conventional and he choose to work in his own way and people don't get it and so that can't be really of God because you're not following the rules that we put in place here you know I'll be honest with you the vast majority of, like, people would say that I'm not a real pastor, you know, because I haven't followed all the rules. I haven't gone to school, and I haven't been officially by anybody here or there, and this and that, and so on. I'm not even, New Jersey recognizes me, I guess they recognize anybody. But anyhow, so we don't follow the rules, you know, so it's clearly it must be of the devil or something like that. Verse 17, but he, knowing their thoughts, he said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, a divided household falls. Jesus knows their thoughts, whether they said anything out loud or not, and so then he makes this statement about a divided kingdom or a divided household. Abraham Lincoln essentially quoted that Mm -hmm. statement in uh, the second inaugural address, which is probably his greatest speech by the way, Uh, even better than the Gettysburg address. But anyhow, um, more specifically, that's just sort of a generic example Jesus gives. Then in verse 18, he turns it to Satan's kingdom, and that's really what he's talking about, and he said, if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I can't. I, I think he said it this way. <laughs> you say,
3: I can't stand the matter. I don't know if he
0: said that. <laughs> so the idea, if Satan is empowering him to cast out other demons of Satan, well then Satan's kingdom is divided. Why would Satan do that? That would be a dumb thing for Satan to do. And so, it doesn't make sense. Verse 19, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Remember, there were Jews that were casting out demons. So, he's essentially here saying, so are you saying that the Jewish exorcists are being empowered by Satan as well? Verse 20, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons. So, here's the choices. It's either by Satan or it's by the finger of God. Not you know, the bicep muscle of God, which is interesting, not the powerful hand of God, just by his finger, by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And and hopefully, with that simple statement about a divided kingdom, they're seeing the foolishness of their thinking. And they're realizing, you know, Jesus' power must come from someplace else, and hopefully that'll take them down the path. that if it's not from Satan, then it must be from God. So Jesus goes on. He says, "When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when strong, when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and he divides the spoil." So Jesus is declaring, "Not only am I not under Satan and working for Satan by delivering this man and his demon, but I'm showing you that I'm stronger than Satan because I'm delivering of one of Satan's uh, demons." He says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. And in the things of the Spirit, there's no neutral ground. You know, it's not like, well, I'm not really for Satan, but I'm not really for God. I'm just sort of in here in the middle. Uh, a decision against Jesus is a decision for the kingdom of darkness. And you know, to be undecided, well, I'm not decided yet. I'm agnostic. Well, no, you have decided uh, to do so. And so whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me, Jesus says, scatters. Now he continues this idea of the unclean spirits. Look at verse 24. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last day of that person is worse than the first. Now... Jesus is painting a picture. He's trying to explain the spiritual realm uh, by words, using words. Good luck you know, with that here. And so everything in this particular statement here is, I don't think, meant to be taken exactly in that way. And so, for instance... There are exorcists, you know, particularly in like a, like a Catholic church kind of setting, you know, and the guy will come with the priest to Dracula, that kind of thing. There are folks in the exorcism ministry that believe that, you know, if you have a body of water, that that somehow will affect the demon and his ability to come and go. And because here it says it will pass through the waterless places. So that's not Jesus' point here. That's supposed to be like the desert, the barren place, searching for a home and there's nothing there. That's all that is supposed to mean there. And so um, as we look at it, the word picture here, the purpose of this, these three verses is to picture a person that is seeking to remain neutral. So I'm not for Satan, I'm not for God, I'm just sort of in the middle here. And so he says when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person and that person thinks I'll just remain neutral, I'll be fine here. Uh, and Satan you know, or this demon has been expelled from them, if they don't replace that with Jesus, well then they're susceptible to be um, once again inhabited here. Now it does seem, this seems realistic, or real, it does seem that demons desire to inhabit something. So we see the example where Jesus is casting the demon out of the man that's in the, the, the tombstone area there that we read about. Uh, And they they want to go to the pigs, Uh, and so you know, cast us to the abyss. We want to inhabit something. Well, why would they want to inhabit something? Do you think it's their job to spread? Okay, is it possible for them to do that without inhabiting a person or a thing, Mm. like an animal or something?
4: Maybe it's how they interact with the physical world. Oh. Yeah. Well, only you can get into a whole
2: like difference between a fallen angel and a demon, too. What's the difference between a fallen angel well, and a demon? Well, angels can manifest. I mm-hmm. know that demons can't.
0: So a fallen angel, could they manifest?
2: If they're an angel.
0: I, think I don't really... I always thought fallen angels were demons.
2: I don't know. What do you see as the difference? Well, if... just my... Conviction. Um, angels in the in the Bible are always when we can see them or appear as men. They don't seem to inhabit, even though we don't see any quote fallen angels. Okay. Manifesting, but the term angel, you know, Ben whatever was it Ben um, um like in the whole Genesis account with the nephilim and all that, mm-hmm. like they. They, should, they left their first estate and then, you know, became, I guess, quasi-human so they could, you know, be with women and stuff. Cheers. Where demons are always seeking embodiment because the angels not doing. it. Interesting. Okay, so
0: I think you bring up a great point. You never see angels taking on human bodies, or like uh, possessing. Right, right. I, the only thing I can think of is Hebrews, where it says, you know, you've entertained angels without knowing it. Right. You know, And, and I, I think I met an angel once. <laughs> I honestly do. Um, I was in a Dunkin' Donuts in somewhere in Illinois or something or another. We were going out to a missions conference, and middle of the night, 2 in the morning, this and that, so on and so forth, and I had nowhere to go, because we lost who we were going with and the home we were going to. And no cell phones, no, no any of that yeah. stuff, you know, it's the old days. And I'm at this, like, diner, and we're like, oh, what was us? And the lady, she's like a bartender behind the, the thing, I need you a cup of coffee, you know, and then you tell her your problems. You know, so I'm telling her my problems, and some guy, he looks over and he says, there's a phone book right over there, you might have what you're looking for. I said, so I go over and I do, and I look it up, and it says like, this is where your friend lives, you know, whatever. And I'm like, thank you, sir, and he's not there anymore. He's <laughs> an angel, you know what I mean? So I don't know if it's an angel or not, but... you know. So, but that's the closest yeah. thing we see to taking on a human body. Right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mm-hmm. even say they do,
2: right. you know. But... Well, we you say whenever angels appear, they're always in human form.
0: Correct. But not in Jimmy body. So, right, right. right, they're not taking anything. But I, what I don't, under, I don't understand, and I want to, is... The difference, that in your mind, between a fallen angel and a
2: demon. Um, my own twisted conviction um, could be the disembodied nephilim. The fallen angel. No, no, the demon. The demon. Since the nephilim's an unnatural creation, are they not? Um, oh, I
0: see where you're going. Okay.
4: Aren't that's the nephilim my twisted. Locked away somewhere. Say again. Aren't the Nephilim um, locked away somewhere? Well, what's the the which which I don't well, know first what Peter is I think they're they're in
2: Tartarus. <laughs> yeah. Is I, left I, I think it's it. first Peter. Yeah. But those particular are in some. Captain. Apparently, the hell that's far below hell is, Earth is from <laughs> heaven or whatever.
4: Somebody knows. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, it's almost like the bad spirits feel. Exposed in those instances, if they're not in something, hmm. yeah, maybe. I, I I like this. I read this today, and somebody said, "It's sort of like the spray can in the hand of the vandal." You know what I mean. The vandal wants to do something, and the spray can allows them to do it. Right. Um, or the gun, and you know the robbers, whatever. And so similarly, the body now enables. The demon to do what he's going to do, or, or something like that. So, but it does seem like you know these spirits want to go somewhere, uh, and so.
3: Um, Let me like or just what you just said made me think. Like God desires a lot of times to use us to do His work, but He doesn't need us to do His work. I mean, he could do it without us. But sometimes mm-hmm. the, does the demons, the Satan, does He need us to do His work? I mean mm-hmm.
0: Well, I don't know because, like in Daniel, Daniel's praying uh, for the circumstance, and he's praying for three weeks. Here we go talking about praying long. And Michael finally comes, the angel, and he says, you know, that he was at war with the prince of Persia. Persia,
4: right? Was um, it? Wasn't, was it? Was it Michael? Because someone then came, and then took care of okay, maybe it wasn't michael
0: but um, <laughs> oh, so that's a spiritual realm battle that didn't manifest itself here on the earth did it? Well, we rest- you do not wrestle against flesh and blood but it's out of power, and power. power That's an Ephesians so all the stuff that goes on on the earth I don't want to think that every bad thing on the earth is some demon working because my own simple nature causes a lot of my own
2: troubles. It's it, probably part of the equation, demons or my simple nature. Yeah, but well, I'm just saying all of it. It's all. Yeah, know, I see. But
3: yeah. even yeah. doesn't demons work through us? Doesn't, I mean, even though we're saved, I mean, if we're. I mean, obviously, we're
0: sending I I don't want to say that a demon
2: made me do that. Yeah, Joe Foschies is a great quote the Holy Spirit doesn't, isn't into time-sharing?
0: <laughs> well, we're definitely... I definitely wouldn't say that demons are in us, um, that in a sense of possessing, if you're a believer. Right, right, right. Um, can a believer be oppressed by a demon? I think so. Certainly. Particularly, particularly if you open yourself up to certain things. Right. You know, you're playing with your Ouija board or something like that. and mm-hmm. um, That sort of thing. Um, I don't think demons can compel us to do anything. They can deceive
2: us, perhaps, and trick us. Mm-hmm. They can mess with us. It gives us a hard time. They can't take control of us with the Holy Spirit.
3: Yeah. You know. I just, yeah. So it's not a matter of the demon is like possessing us. It's just that it's our nature. Like sometimes we can trick us. Yeah,
0: this. and they could probably, you know much like you have Satan tricking Adam and Eve. It seems like tricking Eve, and then Adam going along to be with her. Um, you know, Satan didn't enter her and make her eat the apple. He right. enticed her. And he right. deceived her and he tricked her.
2: Because so, yeah. I don't think they can I read like our... <laughs> yeah, that's Joe's great, great quote. Um, I don't even think they can read our minds. They can see what we do and then, oh, look, there's a little kink in And heart. they
0: also have 6,000 years of history with right. a gazillion billion people that have lived. Sure. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Encyclopedia. Yeah, course?
1: and this is how man is working? <laughs> Oh, What were you <laughs> going to say, my friend? I was going to say that they, that, uh, they, they tempt us. Um, they can't really entice us and show us uh, the dark side of. Uh, well, not the dark. They they make the make it um, look so enticing to uh, do something yeah. bad, and then you don't realize until until you're, d- you're done with that. Also, you were talking about the the um, angel and Daniel? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You were saying, was I, was he battling men or was he battling spirits? I think he was battling spirits. Because I agree. If, if it wasn't he, because all throughout the Bible, the angels are stronger than, than mere humans. So I, if he was, if it was just a, a man or an army, could have easily defeated the the, um, the um, unless unless they unless Lucifer had given so, this uh, the, this uh, the man some extra power or so. Yeah, I think what I
0: was wondering is, as this angel is fighting this demon. Is it almost like those two are controlling puppet strings that was affecting this nation versus that nation? That that was, I have to go back and look at the past a little, but,
2: I, I, but that's where I, I was I kind of hang
0: with that. Yeah, so, I, mean, I I don't know one way or the other, but i
3: mean, just vaguely recall, so. Yeah. When, when Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, he was explaining to Satan, it was Peter that uttered the words. Yes. So was he saying that Satan was working through Peter at that point? Yes, I think so,
0: but not that Satan but, was in Peter.
4: Was it something that he whispered into his mind to say, sure. kind of thing? Yes. Now we do see
0: with Judas, oh, it yeah. says that Satan killed him. Right. Right. So. Well, let me make one last point here with uh, this verse, and. That, that's sort of this idea that the demon leaves, nothing replaces it, and then worse comes along, right? Because that's what it said, seven demons here. And I wanted to look at it from the perspective, not necessarily of demons filling, Because I don't think every sinner out there is demon-possessed and, and things like that. Um, but I do think some people are demon-possessed, certainly, I do. Um, but there's sort of a vacuum. In all of us. And we talk about a God-shaped void and things like but that. But there's a void that needs to be filled. And some people, they fill it with all sorts of evil and things like that. And sometimes as the church, Christians, we, we want to clean up certain sins. And get them out. Put them aside. But nothing replaces them. And something's going to fill that later. So, I thought of this example, for instance, here. I don't know if you know, but the abortion rate in America is steadily declining mm-hmm. in the United States. Isn't that great?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I mean, you, you think about how it was rising and, and all sorts of things. Um, well, why do you think that is?
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Drugs. Drugs? Mm-hmm.
0: Like people are doing drugs instead like of sex? Oh. No, <laughs> no, the
4: uh, morning after pill and those no, types you, of things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you ruined it all, man. I'm sorry. with you. Okay, so <laughs> most people say, oh, well, ultrasounds are bad. You know, so people are seeing a baby there at you know, such a young age, and like, I can't, you know. Yeah. Choice One, for instance, uh, they've been blessed to get uh, a number of ultrasounds right in their offices and doctors to run those machines and things like that. And uh, more and more people are coming in, seeing the baby right there, and changes their, you know. Uh, today, I, one of my friends posted on Facebook that she um, put the video of the ultrasound. Uh, it was remarkable. And she said, I'm in love already.
3: You know, and the baby's like, whatever.
0: You kind of think, well, certainly so. You know, it looks like a baby and it, it beats like a baby. Um, it's interesting that Planned Parenthood uh, did not, they they fought against pregnancy centers from getting ultrasounds, uh, or whatever they're called, sonograms, because uh, they, know.
3: they know.
0: But anyway, so that could be one, because yes, you know, we're seeing this and that and so on, or people are understanding more, or... So all these different things, but the main reason, statistically linking, for why abortions are going down is because of the growth of the morning-after pill. And the morning-after pill essentially causes an abortion one day in as opposed to 20 weeks in
3: or something like that. So is it possible they're going up, actually?
0: Yeah, it definitely is going up. Um, So here, so more babies ultimately are dying because of, morning after, though, um, than they were with just, quote-unquote, simple abortion. Uh, and so we've, we've taken the one out, one demon, and we've replaced it, if you will, with seven. You see what I'm saying? And so there's a vacuum. And so we need to not just change the abortion rate. And that's one, one of the reasons why I really love Choice One, is it's not just about abortion to them and lowering the numbers, but it's about leading people to Christ. Because when people come to Christ, not always... But when people come to Christ, their lives change. And these numbers drop anyway. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, just sort of something, a connection that I see with this. Moving a little bit away from the idea of demons and and things like that, but a connection that I see making it. So we want to bring Christ uh, to people. You agree? All right.